Hello. Oh, hi, Will's here. Hey. Yeah. Can you see me? Good. How's it going? Good, man. How are you? Very nice. Is that a color-coded bookshelf? Yeah, very well-aid. <gasps> yeah, the second yeah. guess. Hey. The... <laughs> oh, God. Have you been to his house or, you, or you, you've heard about it or you heard the episode? So, two things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, heard the episode, but I have done a, a Zoom podcast with him where he was in front of the color-coded uh, bookshelves in question. So there was two of the four of us who were on that podcast who had both had color-coded bookshelves in the background. <laughs> Jesus. I, I color-coded my T-shirts um, the other day. I, have, I, I ordered a, a decluttering expert to my house to help me come up with systems to live a, a, a less cluttered life. It sort of and, sounds uh, like you ordered somebody to come to your house. <laughs> it doesn't have a great feel. To it's a weird way to phrase that. Well, when you order Uber Eats, aren't you ordering someone to come to your house and give you food? Same thing. It's just the, it's, it's probably pretty full on. Language. Wait, so she thought that the biggest issue with your current no, no. organization was your T-shirt coloring? No, um, I think there's a lot of problems, to be honest. Uh, we filled up a couple of carloads of, um, of things to donate and two bins full of things to throw and more and to put in other people's bins. And um, but then, yeah, I just thought, oh, I can, now that there's space under where the T-shirts hang, like there's none of the stuff that I just used to just dump under there, I just thought, well, I can make this place look pretty and colour-coded. No one's going to see it but me. It's just something to make me smile every morning. All I would and say is, it? do you now need a social <laughs> etiquette expert to come to your house and explain to you you're not meant to put other shit in people's bins? Like, that's really yeah. unnaturally of you. Can I, okay, all right. How about this? The bins are all out on the nature strip. The night before, it's on bin night. They're all fine. asleep. Yeah, that's no, no. fine. If they've, if they've been moved from like wherever they are kept in the apartment block or whatever out onto yeah. the street, once yeah. they're on the street, they're fair game. If they okay, live on cool. the street, different matter. Mm. But yeah. like, you know, I, you can't just be taking advantage of a poor bin that's living out on the street seven days a week. But I would say <laughs> that if somebody has moved it out there, that is them saying as a household, we are done with you, bin. Mm-hmm. They're done. Go off yeah. into the world. You know what? If you if you if you love something, set it free. And if it comes back to you empty, <laughs> then that is okay. <laughs> so okay, all right. Although so. I know what Naz puts in his bin because the last time we recorded oh, it was God. in person and I don't know if we we never never discussed if we were gonna tell the rest of the world this, but I'm at least telling Will. I th- I um, did some Googling, I don't think what we did was criminal. Okay. <laughs> well, we came out of Naz's house, the three of us, and there was a recently deceased i would say squid no. uh possum uh-huh. like a baby possum it I was think. a baby possum because we were confused basically these two came to my house no dead animal at the front of my literally at my doorstep we finished the podcast opened the door dead possum there that has never happened before it's the sure. first time you guys have come to my house yeah but it's, 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 it's weird that, that you're, sent. you're pointing the finger at the two people you can rule out as suspects like you had your eye on them the whole time. They're the two <laughs> yeah. people who you know did not do this. Maybe somebody ordered it to come to your house. No, <laughs> That's what I didn't tell you. It's, it's a very obscure Uber Eats order. Now, we couldn't get you on um, because you were waiting till the football season finished. So we've, we've, we've actually been attempting for a while, but what, what, you're a big football guy. I, did, I had no idea. 
Well, I have a football podcast I, I called a, a football adjacent podcast, right? It, in fact, this was the podcast I was on with Waleed when we both realized that we color coded our bookshelves. We were both talking <laughs> about football and we both realized that we had like that in common with each other as well. Three things, in fact. We've both hosted the project. Uh, we, we both have color coded bookshelves and we both surprisingly love, surprisingly love AFL football. But, footy obsessed. Okay. Yeah. So my friend Charlie and I started a podcast in 2016. It's just no, so we already had TOEFOP, but we used uh-huh. to talk about AFL footy a lot on TOEFOP and mm-hmm. people who listen to TOEFOP would get annoyed that we <laughs> talk so much about AFL football. So we thought, you know how we can solve that problem. We'll take it out of TOEFOP and we'll just make it its own po- podcast. But then we got sick of talking about AFL football on an AFL football <laughs> podcast. So now it's just more like an extra episode of TOEFOP every week. <laughs> What's so- it what was it called? Okay, so both of our teams had only won one premiership in the 100 years they'd been in the competition. That's what Bond oh, was. No. Two oh, so people, your, your team is? The Western Bulldogs. One of Charlie's them has to be Melbourne. Is the no, Saints. No, Melbourne, oh. Melbourne, mate. Melbourne's won like 15, 13 or 15. Yeah, they used to be good, Melbourne. Like mm. our teams have never been good. And that is what gotcha. it bonded us, that we both had these unsuccessful teams. And so the podcast is called Two Guys, One Cup. Right, because we were two guys who had just won one cup each, and so it does get some. Look, don't Google it at work. Would be what I say. You'll get some weird <laughs> pictures that'll come up. Put podcast in if you are googling it at home. But um, in the very first year we did it, 2016, my team, the Bulldogs, unsurprisingly won the premiership, and so really oh, kind no. of bugged up the entire conceit of the podcast in the first season, which was because suddenly I was super successful and I'd had this whole season where I could enjoy it. So, um, yeah, so that that was... Oh, uh, shit. So we do that during the footy season. So every time I was trying to fit this in, it was uh, clashing with us um, having to do stuff for the footy podcast. Every time I've watched, because are you there's different levels of footy supporter. Like there's someone that maybe maybe was, I'm probably like the uh, the bottom level where I've got the you know I go for Melbourne. I've actually got a scarf. I've once been a member or a couple of times. Then there's people who know the names of the players. I know none of the names of the players. Actually, I know Max Gorn. And Gary Lyon, who played about two decades ago, <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah. I couldn't name any other players. Then above, like people that know the names, are people that like, go to games and yell at the umpires and things like that. Um, okay, so the different where I'm at is I've been a member for twenty years or something, yeah. and like I'm a pretty passionate supporter, but I don't yell at the players. Like uh, I go to the games and mm. I enjoy a game of football, but mm. I'm not a so Charlie. Yeah. who I go to a lot of, lots of football matches with, yeah. he loves to yell at everyone. The amount of times <laughs> that he has no, no, nearly dragged me into a fight at the football because he thinks it's part of it. He just goes along and he's an actor too and he just gets into the character as this yobbo footy supporter and it's a very convincing you know, like performance that he's putting on. Whereas oh. I... Like in, when he he came to the grand final with me in 2016, mm. and I don't think I breathed from when they bounced the ball until about halfway through the last quarter. Like I'm one of those guys who just sits there and watches it and gets really nervous and can't really express myself. I'd be a terrible comedy audience member. I'd oh, be right. that person who was laughing on the inside, and I'd be sitting in the front. I'd be sitting no, in that's the front not row. True. And you'd be you'd be there the whole time, just going, uh, "Why is that guy not enjoying this show?" No, and I'm no, just no. like, "No, no, I'm enjoying it. I'm just no. really nervous for you, man." <laughs> I remember when you came to our show back in would have been 2010 in Sydney at the Factory Theatre. Um, you came with Andrew Denton, and it was Armour yeah. and I were doing a show, Fear of Brown Planet. Maybe there was a I don't know, maybe a hundred people in the room, but we just knew 
Andrew Denton was there. We didn't know that you were coming with him. And then it became apparent as the audience were seated that you were definitely there because you were like the tallest guy amongst this sea of like South Asians and Andrew Denton. And your laugh was so loud. It like punctuated waves of laughter. So, and you laughed regularly and generously. I don't know if you do that like intentionally to let the comedian on stage know that they're doing well. Um, because they know you're in the room, but it was. Um, but we still, we still remember that. I have a vivid. Me- I don't remember other comedians' laughter, but your, ha ha ha, it was very encouraging. And here I am, still today, performing. Well, it, as a it, it, I, I think I'm a good comedy audience. I love comedy. The reason I got into comedy was because I was a fan of comedy. Like I thought that the best way to hang out with stand-up comedians was to be a stand-up comedian. I didn't realize <laughs> that it would be something that I would be able to, you know, base my entire career and livelihood and whatever on. Like I just wanted to be amongst it. And when I started, because this year would have been my 25th Melbourne what? Comedy Festival in a row. Like it took a global pandemic Shit. that shut down a city for eight months to get me to miss a comedy festival. <laughs> and because I just love it. I, I just wouldn't rather be anywhere else during that time. And if it means that I have to write Ooh. a new show every year to be part of it, then that's all I ever want to do. But when I go to see comedy, I love being in the audience of comedy because I just get caught up in it. And I remember that show, you know, because I'd never seen you guys do a show before. And it was just amazing. Like, I thought it was just incredible. And, like, I laughed, you know, endlessly (laughs) from start to finish. I was like, who are these guys? And look at them saying these things. And, like, a couple of times I'd look at Andrew and go, oh, my God. They're going to rally the rest of the audience against us. We're the representation of everything they don't believe in. We are the white devil. There they are, white devils. Yeah, it was protection. It was like me going. South Asian Malcolm X's. Yeah, I was I was there going, no, 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 I'm, I'm with you guys. I get this is funny too. White people are stupid, right? <laughs> no, it was, it was very encouraging. No, um, but also pretty, probably pretty brave because back then, well, not the only, but most of the audience that came were definitely from like, like uh, the community yeah, and uh, they, they definitely punched fists in the air as much as they laughed at <laughs> punchlines. So it was... Pretty rowdy, but um, it was one of the gigs where the literal term punchline was appropriate because there was a lot of just them going like this at the end of things. I used to wear f- free Gaza t-shirts, and there'd be footage would play of like the um, you know the U.S. invasion of Iraq and stuff like that. Like that wasn't very funny, but it just created the context for the show. So no, it was um. I do a different type of show these days. <laughs> well, I like the idea that because you've just redone your wardrobe and had to throw things out, you know, <laughs> I, I like the idea that that's the sort of stuff you've thrown out or like the early really provocative stuff has gone out in the bins. And But of course, you've put it in your neighbour's bin and now they're on an ASIO watch list. <laughs> We've gone through the rubbish. We've found all this real controversial stuff. And this, this white dude who lives next to you is like, I reckon there's a van following be around everywhere and my phone is clicking when i'm talking on it i don't know what's going on yeah, i need company in detention center but um oh yeah I was gonna say, but when i go to the football with waleed because uh, i think you might be similar to him he watch he doesn't like just watch the game like a normal person this were uh, like I, he's like a, and i think you might be the only other person that watches a football game like this he like looks at the shapes of the of the gameplay and goes and like the the geometry of stuff and he talk he comments on like oh they've now changed formate and i don't even see what he's talking about but it, but are you that kind of guy do you like look at the strategy from a i do like the strategy of it a lot i like all of it 
is actually what yeah. I will say. Okay. Like, mm. I like being there in a crowd. I like the food that they serve. I like the energy <laughs> of the people. I love that idea that, you know, there'll be a couple and they're both supporting different teams. Like, it, it always makes me feel – like, I don't feel patriotic on Australia Day. I don't think it should be that day. I think we should be changing the day. I feel patriotic when I go to a football match in Australia and we're not separated by wires, the supporters, because they're going to you know, bash each other after the game. But you've got couples <laughs> dressed in the opposing teams, you know, like having a kiss outside the ground. And you're just like, that's actually when I feel really patriotic about yeah. you know, who we are. And I love sport, but it's a game. Right? Mm. The reason that it's important is that we've decided that it's important. Mm. So I can choose to decide it's important, but I always remember that it's a game. Like, I'm not one of those people who's crossed over into thinking it is actually important. Mm. Like, I think there's a yeah. difference between those two things, right? You can go, I love this movie, or I love this, like, you know, comedian, or I love this musical artist, or I love this sport. But at the end of the day, I realise it's just music and it's just sport. Like, I, I, I don't have to cross that line into thinking that it is more important than that. But, but you've come on today, apparently, with some expertise on international drug smuggling. Is that your well, well, that's what I said, because I thought, you know what, you need some sort of survival you know, thing here. And I was yeah. like, what am I good at? I couldn't actually think of anything. I was really actually a bit mortified that I was like, what's your special skill? What's the thing that you're... Adam Spencer once said to me on the radio, and he kind of meant it as a joke, but I think it's really true. He said, you know the thing about you, Will? You know three things about everything and no more than three things about anything. <laughs> and oh, that is actually pretty accurate because I don't have a depth of knowledge on any topic. But I thought, you know what, I've got a unique piece of knowledge <laughs> that maybe nobody else has ever done this particular thing. So I thought I would share this mm. and maybe it could inspire other Wait, people. Do you need to consult your lawyer first? Because um, mm. sure? look, James, you can edit this out if anything he says gets him in hot water. No, I don't like to live that world. I think no, that right. I, I like to live a world of <laughs> yeah. brutal honesty. And here's what I'm going to say to you is that, I mean, I don't think it's a secret that people know that I smoke weed, right? I no! <laughs> I haven't kept what? that. A, I haven't kept that a big secret. So I think we're fine. There was a picture of me on page three of the Herald Sun smoking a bong. So it's, was it really? Yeah, true story. I, well, I did Doug. What? I did Doug Benson's show in LA, uh, which is mm -hmm. called Getting Doug with High, and it's like a like a normal chat show, but instead of Graham Norton style where they drink alcohol, you smoke weed. It was in a place where it was legal. It was legal to do like you know. So it wasn't you know breaking the law or anything like that, but. Um, and it goes for like, you know, an hour, an hour plus, a whole bunch of big comedians and actors and stuff have done the show. It's a popular show. And so I got it invited on that show. I did it with Gary Gulman, who people might know, who's a really brilliant stand-up comedian. But they've got all this weed has been donated and they want you to smoke it in various different ways. Like they have bongs and pipes and vaporizers and joints and whatever. And the idea of the show is, you know, the more you get into it, obviously the more your stories fall apart and the interview <laughs> falls, falls apart and it's hilarious for people. So... For the week beforehand, like, because I don't normally smoke bongs, like, I just like a joint and there's something about, like, the method of putting it together that I find relaxing. But, like, 
I knew that I was going to have to smoke bongs on the TV and I knew I was the first Australian who had ever gone on this show and I didn't want to let down Australia's reputation internationally. Oh so for a week before, I swear this is true, Rocky montage style, I trained. I got a you bong trained. and I would get up in the morning, I would try to get out of breath, I would like, like I would do a bong, I just like practice telling a story. Like I went into full, I've never prepared this hard for a Melbourne Comedy Festival show. I was just like, I am not going to green out on this TV show and people are going to see it forever and judge my country, right? So I was in, uh, after that, what happens? So so the training went well. You, you didn't, oh, did you green out along no, the way? I, 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 you, people can watch it. It's still available, Getting Dug With High, it's called. If you just Google okay. my name and that show, you can watch it. But um, the Murdoch papers in Australia picked it up and wanted to turn it into some big, you know, ABC, you know, celebrity host, uh, you know, court smoking pot, even though... It was on TV. Like, I wasn't yeah. caught. Well, I was caught yeah, by yeah. the fact that there was a whole bunch of cameras and they, you know, put a microphone on me when I sat down. So I suppose I was caught in a way, right? So they put these pictures of me, like, smoking on this show, like, in the papers, kind of really tried to make it into this big thing. And I swear this is true. Not one person ever contacted me to complain about it. And you know people contact you to complain about anything. Yeah, yeah. Not one, heaps of people to ask about stuff, like people in pain, old people. I had this old lady, like, message me. She was like, I'm 80. I really think it would help with my pain. She goes, who am I going to hurt? I'm all just at home making, making biscuits anyway. I'm like, okay, yeah, great. I'll let you know. It was Oh, my great. God. So what about all the people that were, like, um, left-leaning ABC bias? What about all those people? No one contacted me. Like, and they will on any other topic. But this particular topic, people were just like, well, he was kind of doing something legal, a place where it's legal. We just can't quite <laughs> see how. And I think there's a lot of secret stoners in Australia as well who, like, secret you stoners. know, there's a bit of, you know. Seeing, Our own SS. Seeing what they're doing publicly. <laughs> anyway, this has been the result of it. Everywhere I go in Australia now, People offer me weed because <laughs> I'm a well-known stoner, and like That's basically, so good. <laughs> basically, Rupert Murdoch put out a one-page ad in the Herald Sun, and then around the country, there was just like, "Hey, can you give me free weed?" It was amazing. So I'm in anyway. I'm in Montreal. I'm in Montreal, Canada, and this is the story I wanted to tell you. I'm in Montreal, Canada, and I'm doing. I'm not actually. I'm about to go to Montreal for just for laughs. That festival there that you have done. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you were we talking. Oh, so I, I, all I can tell you is it was between when we got decriminalized there and when it became legal. So it was okay. already on its well on its way to being like where it is now there, which is like legal. But this was in the transition period between decriminalized and, and legal. So I'm doing a gig in uh, Toronto the night before, but just a one nighter before I go to Montreal for like a week and a half. And after the gig, these two young dudes come up to me and give me this bag of weed that is like, um, like it, it honestly is like, oh, sorry, this is not meant to be mine. This is the one for Cypress Hill who are playing down the road. <laughs> like it was, like it was a bag of weed that Snoop Dogg would have looked at and gone, you know what, that's fine. Right? I'll just take half of that bag of weed. But, so, and I'm there for one night. So like I, I go and have some and it's great and I don't have a hookup in Montreal. I'm sure I could, could have found one, but I'm at a comedy festival with comedians. But like I, don't, <laughs> yeah. I have this amazing bag of weed and all I need to do is get it from Toronto 
to Montreal. But as I said to you, it's decriminalized at the time, but it's not mm-hmm. legal, which means mm-hmm. if I got caught with it, they wouldn't have a problem with it, but I can't take it on a plane. And so oh. I am flying from Toronto to Montreal. Uh-oh. So here's what I did. <laughs> I went down to like one of those bed, bath and soap shops, like the you know, body shop thing where they sell like, you know, fragrant soaps and things like that. And yeah. then I went to like a fancy coffee place and I got a big thing of like coffee granules because oh I had God. seen that on like Beverly Hills Cop or something when I was a kid. That it, like, yeah, it gets rid of like the smell, right? So I put the weed inside like the the bubble bath and the and the coffee granules and then i put in i can't remember what else i put in there a couple of little nice things you might send in a care package to somebody <laughs> and i mailed it to myself but here's the bit so here's you mailed the, it to yourself yeah okay yeah. in montreal in montreal because i knew okay, where i was yeah. staying so i just mailed mm-hmm. it to myself in montreal but here's mm-hmm. the trick that i want to say to people because if they had discovered that, they probably would have thought, oh, the person it's going to is the person who has arranged for this to be here. Maybe I would have got in trouble for that, right? So here's what <laughs> I did, Nas, and this is my little survival guide okay, tip okay, to everybody who's okay. listening. <laughs> I wrote myself a fan letter. Oh I pretended to be a really big fan of mine who was sending me this package because then if it had been caught, they would have been just like, oh, yeah, this is like some dude who like knows that he loves weed and tried to send him some weed. My hands are clean. Well, is this, a, is this the first time you've written yourself a fan letter? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. The first and only time. Can we have an excerpt from the fan letter? What you-, uh, you know what? It was okay. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I, I did try to make it convincing, but not overly convincing. <laughs> right? Did you spell your name with a double L? Yeah. Uh, no, that would have been, uh, I think that would have been too much. That's overplaying okay. my hand uh, in that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, no, I referred to the fact that it, they were a fan of mine, that they knew me from my podcast, um, mm-hmm. that they knew that I had like a bad back, bad hips, which I do have, and mm-hmm. that I'd been on a really long flight from Australia. <laughs> um, oh, my so, gosh. <laughs> so here were a bunch of things that might help me relax after my flight. Yeah, the idea being that it was like the bubble bath and the like here's some coffee and whatever. So it was all very like trying to explain, cover the story that if they found the weed, they'd be like, ah, oh, well, this, look at this. He was just trying to <laughs> help his hips relax. Might be from a doctor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, doctor prescribing coffee. Yeah. Wait, so what happened? Do they, I thought there was like sniffer dogs or oh. something. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I thought maybe there was. Oh my God, you've just cracked. Thank you very Will, yeah. you've just literally, I think we've got a lot of <laughs> listeners out there who are ex-cons and want to be drug dealers, but they just don't know how to get around that sort of international, like, the, 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 like right now, I'm sure there are people trying to get into Australia, mm. um, cocaine and other illicit substances, but they don't know how to. So all you need to do is write yourself a fan letter from a fan of yours as a, Drug de- like if you're a yeah. drug dealer. I mean, it does to- mean like the flaw in that system is it works better in that I could I am someone you could be a fan of. It's yeah. a bit harder to convince <laughs> like if it's just like, Gary, I'm a big fan of the way you put out the bins. 
Yeah. Okay. Are you advertising? Are you advertising yourself as some sort of mule at the moment? Because if, if people start sending you drugs, uh, uh, is it? You're sort you're of just you're renting out your identity as a mule, so you don't even mm-hmm. have to mule yourself. Oh yeah, that that's a good point. I don't mind that actually, because what I would get out of it is like you know some sort of. I mean, there'd be some sort of cut, but really, I'd just be satisfied yeah. with the fan letters. Yeah. The fan letters just got forwarded to me. You can just run the drugs yourself between yourselves, but just send on the fan letters. Did you did you keep your fan letter just as, as some sort of uh, memento? If you got busted. <laughs> <laughs> and did you write? Was it handwritten or was it typed? Or was it just newspaper letters? Because that would be the, that would be the, that would be a winner newspaper article for News Corp to write. <laughs> Will Anderson writes fan letter to himself and sends himself drugs. Uh, typed. Uh, type, okay. Okay. Not on my computer. Oh. Wow. On the hotel computer. You I went to all... the hotel, like, you know, room where they have the, the business like, little center. office. The business center of the hotel, <laughs> and I did it from their computer. You didn't have to get the receptionist to then print it off, and then she would have, or he would have read it. No. Uh, no, printer, okay. was, oh, printer was all in the room. This is brilliant. Can you do this for anything? I like thinking about the fact that you can only really use Will's identity as your mule for weed. If you want to bring in coke, you need someone who is renowned for like <laughs> cocaine use. If you want to bring in guns, you need a gun guy. <laughs> like who? Well, you who need could... that fights crime for good. You know, like that is like a vigilante, <laughs> and someone's just trying to assist him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so uh, those those people who fight crime for good and need guns and cocaine <laughs> <Yeah>. to do that. <laughs> I, I've always wanted to know how do people actually smuggle drugs across countries? You're a criminal lawyer, James. Or what did they used to do? What do people do? They how do you get them into the country? Well, well there's like famously lots of cases of Australians doing just that. Mm. Um, <laughs> No, they didn't do very you know, well. The, yeah, one of them is like spends a lot of time on reality TV now. And... <laughs> so you could argue is doing very well out of it. Yeah. So if you send letters to people across the world, um, they just do not get checked. Is this what is, is this the reality of? The I remember just... hearing about friends going to South America and posting like coke back to themselves, and it sounded well, the most ridiculous thing because surely, especially things coming from South America, they're going to be checking. But then I've heard that same story, like coming back from LA, people said to mail myself weed back home and just put coffee beans beside it and don't put this, you know how you can put like a return to sender address? They're like, just don't put that so they can't trace it back to where you sent it from. Wow. So coffee, because so back to the dead possum in my bin, um, because that was, we put that in my, I put that in, we, we, we all put that in our, my bin on Wednesday last week. And or Tuesday, whatever Wednesday, it, and it was every time I had to put something in the bin, it just mm. the smell was disgusting. Oh, you didn't coffee bean it. I should have <laughs> lined it with coffee beans. Well, also I love that you really wrote James and Amy into this. We all put it in the bin. Like, yeah, you are he's a made real, us all complicit. Yeah, exactly. You're like, this is a real, you know, I know what you did last summer situation. You hit somebody on the road, and then yeah. all three of you are going to get hunted down. James actually, um, I held the shovel. James had the rake and shoved it onto the shovel. And Amy, what did you do? I did you nothing. Were, I didn't touch it. You were supporting. You didn't try yeah. to stop us, so you're part of it. I think you screamed a bit. <laughs> I found it, so I was. that was my uh, Okay, so, so you're actually possibly the most culpable. You could have actually opened the door to leave, chucked it out of your handbag onto the 
and be like, oh, look. That's true. Yes, I had my little dead possum in my bag the whole time. Thank you. <laughs> well, look, well, thanks so much. I think we need to probably clear this episode by legals. Uh, our the legal legals, department. the RSPCA, um, <laughs> just maybe a community organization generally for tone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, oh, really? And, and, you should have mentioned up front that that was going to be an issue because we could have gone in a completely different direction. We record our episodes sort of 18 months out and then we have to do a lot of consultation around them. <laughs> they get cut back from an hour down to three to four minutes, yeah. Now, apart from the podcasts and TV shows that we need to plug for you, do you have yeah. a PO box that you'd like to advertise where you can receive things? Yeah, I think that might be where I step over the line legally, I reckon. <laughs> I think I think um, telling this story about a decriminalised drug in Canada is a bit different to me going, <laughs> by the way, guys, here's my P.O. box. <laughs> I mean, I have yeah, one, but I'm not giving it out. If you can yeah. guess it. <laughs> um, hey, Gruen's on. Is it, is it, you guys are mid-season right now? Yeah, so um, we've still got a few episodes left, but even if you're hearing that a little after we've finished, they remain around on ABC iView for a little while, so you can go and watch all the episodes of Gruen on ABC iView. Woo! And um, what about Willosophy? Oh, yeah, so I've got a bunch of podcasts. So Willosophy, which you have been on. Uh, yep. So uh, Willosophy, I have uh, Two Guys, One Cup, as mentioned earlier, and then I have Tofop, which is my other podcast with Charlie, and then I have a spin-off podcast from that called Fofop, <laughs> Uh, so that is, I have guest Charlie. So this week, the guest Charlie is, uh, Justin Hamilton, but a whole bunch of American comedians and other people appear on that as well. So there is an entire imaginary radio station and all my <laughs> episodes, group of podcasts. all my episodes go for an hour or more and yours goes for what? 25 minutes. So you're really contributing to the industry, Matt. You've really <laughs> fucking had a crack. <laughs> There's three of us as well. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's like this many people in one room is like a month of podcast. For me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, look, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. And um, are you doing any gigs anytime soon? No, I'm not. In fact, I'm t- taking an extended break. I'm. I, this is the first Ooh. break I've ever had, and I decided, considering that it's it's already been whatever it's been now. I, my last gig was in. Well, I did that. Um, the stand thing. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I did the stand thing. So my last gig in front of people was the last night at Adelaide Fringe. My last gig was that stand thing without an audience. And yeah. so it, for people who don't know, there was the Lockdown Comedy Festival. You had to film it at your own house. You had to set up the cameras and stuff yourself. Um, so I just wanted to do this one piece. Like it was going to just be one take, one piece, mm. like a bit of stand-up in a pretend stand-up comedy club under my house. But I had to shoot <laughs> it at 10 o'clock in the morning for the light to be right. And I do the first take of it and I get it perfect, which is amazing because normally the laughs is where I think of what I'm going to say next. But I'd memorized it. I'd had a real crack at what I was going to do. Had been filming just the side of my ear the whole time. Oh, Completely no, missed the no. rest of my head. Oh my God. So now I've got to do it again. I've got this perfect take that I didn't film properly. Now I can't get through an entire take. <laughs> like I'm sure they could have clipped it and edited it together, but in my head I was like, no, I want it to be just one whole piece that they can use just the whole piece. You know, so it, just, have- it, might just, it might have just looked like some really abstract, you know, comedy forward thinking kind of piece where you don't actually see the comedian, you just hear him and you see his ear, which is what you hear. <laughs> In retrospect, I almost would have done that. Like if, <laughs> if we were doing the special now, I reckon I would have gone with the first take. But at this stage, I can't get the second take done. And so I, I realise, you know what, you normally perform, you have a beer, go upstairs, get a beer, but it's, but it's 10.30 in the morning. So now it's 10.30 <laughs> in the morning. 
I'm dressed in my show clothes at a pretend stand-up comedy club that's been built under my house. Under your house. There's and no crowd. I'm doing this routine over and over again. And I realize I am one of those guys who won't tell his family he's lost his job and so just gets dressed in his suit every day (laughs) and, like, you know, puts a sandwich in his suitcase and goes down to the park and eats his sandwich and then goes home at 5 o'clock. That's what I was. I was that guy. And I was like... Just going to the comedy club. 10.30 in the morning, there's no one there. And I was like, this is not for me. Like, this is not what I... Wait, to to that... So that broke you? Kind of, I think. Oh, shit. In that what it did was it really made me feel like it stripped down everything. It re- You know, it revealed you and what yeah. you do, like, to your complete and utter core. Because really the only contract of stand-up co- – sorry, I, like, we, we could stop doing this podcast. I, I, I will just keep talking. But I – No, 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 real, no, keep going, keep going. The real contract of stand-up comedy is this for me, right? That the show is you and the audience, right? You and the audience is the show. Without the audience, it's not a show. Like, I've written my show. I could go out here and do my entire show, but the show doesn't really exist until there's an audience in the room. The show is the conversation between me and the audience because otherwise, you're just a person talking and people talk Mm. every day for free. And some of them Mm. are really good at it. Like, the only (laughs) thing that justifies what we do as a living, which is we've said... You know what my profession will be? No, I'm not going to learn how to build something. I'm not going to contribute to society in any meaningful way. I'm not going to go to university and study for six years to be a lawyer. You know that thing that everybody does for free every day, talking? <laughs> I reckon I'm good enough at that that I can just pay people to watch me do that. What, for like 12 hours a day? No, nah, for an hour. Sometimes for 15 minutes, to be honest. And I'll want some cash in hand if it's that short. But I just reckon I'm great at talking and that's going to be my job. Now, that's fine as a job mm. if there's an audience full of people there who also agree that's a job, right? The audience makes that the job. But otherwise, mm. you're just a dude talking. Just talking. You're just yeah, you're, a dude talking. And you don't even, like, it's not even a personality trait that you're exploiting because what is the point of, yeah, like, does it, if you're performing to nobody, are you even performing? I'm not. I think some people would say they are, and that's absolutely fine. But what it revealed to me was that, it, like, all that's important to me is that conversation yeah. that I have with my audience. And so now mm. when I come back, I want that conversation to be a better conversation with my audience than I've ever had before. So I'm going to wait until I have something really, really, really good to say. And then I'm going to oh, come no. back and say that. It's good. So we could be waiting a while. I think it's is Stan's fault. We should sue Stan. <laughs> Stan, if you've broken will, we are. <laughs> we're going to get a class action against you. Bloody hell. Um, well, what does it say about me that I did that same show? And I was like, oh, that was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God.